0: Happy Sunday, happy 4th, hope everybody's doing well. Another week, another opportunity to grow in in any way that we can. Happy summer, this is officially the beginning of it. I've been speaking a lot about this idea of rituals. What we're trying to really accomplish here is change. We're not trying to just sort of talk every day. We're trying to create a group that's interested in changing. We want to change our lives. We want to be different people. Now, we're going to be different whether we like it or we don't. Our body's always changing. Our mind is always changing. Our mind adapts to everything that gets put in it. You're not the same person you were. Your body is regenerating itself. One of the most fascinating, most incredible miracles of creation is that a person could cut their skin and slowly watch that cut change create a scab and the skin comes together it's an amazing thing you're watching yourself change you know they this this sunday morning last night uh we had a service as shabbat ends called havdalah and one of the things that you do during havdalah is you there's a candle and you're supposed to look at the reflection of the light of the candle into your fingernails. That's the custom. You can look at the candle when you make the blessing on the on the, on the the light. But the custom is you don't look at the candle directly for the blessing. You, you look at it in the reflection of your fingernails. And the rabbis asked why. And they say the fastest or the most consistent part of you that grows is your fingernails. It's always growing. You're always cutting them. Because... True light is when you see the light, like we're talking about here, the wisdom, whatever, real Torah, that's real wisdom, but what we're doing in, when you see it through the context of growth. That's what wisdom is supposed to be for. It's supposed to be for growing. And that's what we're trying to do. And the way we grow is by changing our brains. The way we change our brains is by doing things that are consistent. And the most consistent thing you can do that will change you is your rituals. One of the things that we spoke about this whole last week was how do you build them? They're not just, you don't just do them. How do you build rituals that last? Well, how do you do anything right? Well, there's a, there's a process. How do you build a car? I don't know. There's a factory line. And they thought about it and they said, okay, listen, I can, this was Henry Ford's great adventure. Henry Ford wasn't exactly the greatest man in the world in terms of his personal life. If you've gone, if you've studied him, but if you studied his business capacity, It's unbelievable. Henry Ford is an entrepreneur that took on the world. And when Henry Ford came to the scene, remember, we were living at a time where everybody took advantage of their work. Can everyone hear me? Am I okay? Sorry, I think think we froze for a second. Where everyone took advantage of their workers. If you remember what took place in Carnegie Steel with the riots and the the killings. Henry Ford shows up and says, we're going to give people an eight-hour workday and we're going to produce more cars than anybody else. You know why he did that for? Because Henry Ford sort of popularized the factory line. He got more out of every worker because he figured out the process. There's a process for rituals. We don't just roll into them. They have to be measurable and clear. And they have to be plus one, a little bit past our comfort zone. And we have to link them to things that we already like so that we're guaranteed to move down the road. But there's another area. There's a lot more. We're going to try to hit one at a time. You know, there's different ways in which you start things. When I was... Yes, improved by Elon Musk, very good. When I, was, when I was younger, when I'd first gotten married, I lived in an apartment, in a garden apartment with a few friends living close by. As I got older, we started looking for homes. A bunch of friends and I got, got together in one apartment and we decided that we weren't going to move to a neighborhood, we are going to start a neighborhood. Wanted to find a plot of land or something, a place that was very, basically, not didn't, didn't have a lot of people to it, wanted to build our own thing. We went out there and we really tried to meet with people and start new things. And it took us about a year of every day going to look at homes to finally the thing collapsed. And in trying to analyze why it collapsed for, it dawned on me that starting a neighborhood is really hard. Not only do you have to find a home, everyone else has to find homes. Not only do you have to, everyone has to find homes, you have to build infrastructure. You have to build the schools for your children. If you go to synagogue, you got to build a synagogue. If you eat kosher food, you have to find kosher food. You can't just roll into something; you need to have infrastructure. Same thing in companies. When you look at most companies that start by themselves, a, a few, a, of course, a few make it, but the vast majorities that start, the, the vast majority of companies that start fail. Well, why does it fail? For the people that are there are very dedicated they're very talented, they're entrepreneurs who've been starting a company, usually the failure comes because the level of work that goes into building a company that's separate is much greater than one would think. If you like making pies, then you're good at pie making. What are you you're not, You may not be good at employee insurance and rent and negotiating a lease and figuring out how to sweep a floor and all the stuff that goes into running a company. If you're an accountant, that's wonderful. But if you, there's so many things that go around a business besides just what you do and where most people fail when they build a company or when they start a neighborhood or when they start any project, a nonprofit, anything. Where the greatest source of failure is is as soon as you get past the thing that you're good at to the thing that you have to do, the infrastructure that is supposed to surround that what you're doing, you go into a world that, It's hard to appreciate how hard that is. And that's where most failure happens. It doesn't happen doing the work that you love. It happens doing the work that you don't love and didn't realize that you needed to do. It's hard to hire and fire. It's hard to figure out how much coffee to put in the office. All these are things that come up to entrepreneurs that they had no idea outside, I got to do the work that I love doing. So where most people fail is they jump into the island too quickly. They think they could do it themselves. And when you think you can do something yourself too quickly, you fail. If you want to change yourself, you have to attach your ritual to already existing infrastructure. It is an extension of what we spoke about on Friday, which is attaching your, your, your ritual, to something that you love. On Friday, we spoke with this concept based on my law school experience, where if you like eating certain foods, just attach that to your ritual. And then over over time, your brain will make the connection for you and you will have more oomph to your ritual because it will not only include what you want to accomplish, it'll also tie into already an established desire. Let's take it one step further now. You got to find your infrastructure. You got to find infrastructure that works for you, that you already have. And extend the infrastructure. You know how neighborhoods really work? Yes, you have development. You want to know how most neighborhoods develop? There's a block where everybody lives and somebody buys one block over. And then they moves, And then they buy one block over and one block over, one block over. They extend the neighborhoods. That's how most neighbors, that's how most societies work. It's an extension of whatever's in, on the inside until there's so much happening here, they create their own center and it extends that way. How most companies start, they're in another company and they leverage the infrastructure of the other company. They, they have the same HR director. They, they sit in the same office. They have used the same parking lot and coffee. And all of a sudden, four people, six people, eight people, and there's enough. And then they grow until they can start their own thing. Me and you have infrastructure. There are parts of our lives that are already structured. There are things that you've already accomplished. Most of us have already gotten past getting up around the same time every day. You're probably in a certain range as it is anyways. When you were 16, it probably wasn't like that. Maybe as you got older, you change. But most people get up if you're growing, you get up around the same time. And most people have a very similar morning routine, which means the brain knows during this period of time, we are following a very specific structure. Here are the streets. Here are the blocks. The brain goes into the world of structure. It's morning. I don't want to, but I have to get up. Eh, 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 Alarm clock. I'm up. It's hard for me. I got to do X and then Y and then Z. For most people, there are parts of their day that are structured. They come home at a certain time. They go to bed at a certain time. Dinner night is a certain. You look around at your already existing day and you'll find that there is structure there. There's infrastructure. Your brain already has maps of what to do for parts of your day the greatest place to place a ritual is in that infrastructure. It adds to an already existing routine. You extend your routine. So if you get up at seven every morning, it is easier to do your routine at 6.30 and you wake up a half an hour earlier, or if your morning routine is an hour to extend it to 115 more minutes, it's easier for you to take your new ritual and stick it in a place where you will already for sure be at. If you place your ritual at 1230 because it makes sense conceptually, but you're in five places at 1230, gone. It's gone. You're putting your ritual on an island. You have to place your ritual where there's already established infrastructure and link it to that place so that all you're really doing is expanding. You're expanding the blocks in your mind. You're leveraging off all the years that you had to get up, that you had to brush your teeth, that you had to eat breakfast. Your body sends you a signal saying, we're hungry. Your brain already knows when that signal comes in of hunger, I got to go to one place and deal with that. I may be eating the wrong thing when I get to the place, but I got to go to a location. And in that location, I'm getting, if you work at an office, you you already know I got to go somewhere. I got to sit in a desk. There's a place I got to sit at. Whatever you're doing, there's part of your day that already is structured. Find your ritual and place it around that neighborhood. Because now what you're doing is you're leveraging that. You're already in motion. The worst place to put a ritual is in a place that you can't control. I do it all the time. I fail at this all the time. I tell my secretary, schedule all my calls when I'm on the road. I'm going to get to the airport. I think I did this here. I'm going to get to the airport. And when I get there, I'm on a TSA line. How long is that? I'll, I'll be on forever. I can make a call here. Then I'm going to be on this. And I'm going to sit at my, on the airplane. I can read this. I can write this. I assume that when I travel from when I get out of that Uber to while I get into the Uber, I can do a million things. I always fail. I never assess. How long it takes to get on the line, how exhausting it is to get on the line, how long it takes to get through security, when you're bored, getting bored in the right place, finding a place, sitting down. All of that exhausts me. And all of that is unknown. So as I schedule all of my rituals take place in travel, they always bomb. I never fully appreciate that when I get home, when I travel in the car, when I get back in the car after a long day and I've got call schedules, I'm like, are you crazy? I just want to do nothing for 30 minutes. I just want to sit in a car and not think. I don't think that way. I My ritual is right. I just placed it in the wrong place. If I place it someplace in the morning or at night, whatever it is. If I place it in a place where I know I'll be up for, remember, and we spoke about this, it's called ego depletion. If you place your rituals at night, most likely you've already used all your willpower up. You probably won't have any more willpower for your ritual. If you place it into the morning, most likely you'll come at with a fresh barrel of willpower and you'll be able to hit it. Remember that ritual placement is as important as the ritual itself. Because if you're not placing it right, You can fail not because the idea isn't good, but because it's not in the right zone. Three guys could have the best idea in the world, but because they didn't get the right level of investment or because they didn't start in the right place, their company fails. Happens all the time. It's not their fault. They had all the right ideas, all the right intentions, all the right talent, but they they didn't have the infrastructure to be successful. If you follow great entrepreneurs, they knew that. They were always raising, 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 connecting, 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 because they understood that if I can't connect to infrastructure, I can't take it to the next level. Let's take it one step further. There's a part of us that wants to be successful. There's a part of us that wants to be um, great. Remember, we have that, significance. So as you're building your ritual, not only do you place it into the right place, there's another trick. There's another trick how to do it. You have to include people that are not yourself. If you really want to cement this. Now listen, sometimes you can't because everyone around you thinks you're crazy and it's not worth it. I get that. That happens all the time to me. Sometimes I can't say certain things because like if I tell this friend or this thing, they're like, what are you talking about? Sometimes you got to keep it to yourself. But sometimes one of the greatest ways to make sure your ritual stays is when you include other people. There's a great rabbi who wanted to quit smoking. This is a great story. His name is Rabbi, I think, well, I'm not going to say his name. In case I get it wrong, I don't want to say it. There's a great rabbi who wanted to quit, uh, uh, stop smoking. So years ago, if you remember, no one knew about the ill impact, the, 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 the negative impact on your health. So this rabbi smoked all the time. He was a chain smoker. And then one day the reports, he got some doctor who told him it's bad for your health. And he said, I have to stop. And he couldn't. So here's what he did. He got up one morning and every morning he addressed all the students. And in the morning address, he says, I want to, everyone should wish me a Mazel Tov. And they said, Mazel Tov, for what? He goes, I quit smoking. They said, wow, you did what? Mazel Tov. And he comes back after the class, and one of his students next to him. They said, Rabbi, you, you started yesterday. When even you quit smoking? Like, this is day one. So he said, I don't know if I'm going to go back. He goes, but what I do know is that I care a lot about what those students think of me. I care. I'm, I'm the rabbi of the whole I'm the head of the whole school. Can you imagine how embarrassing it's going to be if they see me smoking now? Now I'm forced. Now I have no choice. If I smoke, it's not just that I'm hurting myself; is that I'm embarrassing myself in front of these students. And I know that even if I'll justify to myself how to do it, as soon as I realize that I'm going to embarrass myself in front of all those students, I'm going to hold myself back. said, brilliance in terms of understanding self. There's another level to this besides just finding the infrastructure, which is what we're going to talk about tomorrow, rightly around accountability. Tomorrow we're going to begin this process. I want to end the ready I want to move on, but I want to hit from all the angles. Whenever you find the right placement of your ritual, and you recognize that in order to do the ritual properly, I've got to measure it. I got to make it clear. I got to link it to the things that I like. I got to place it in the right place. But there's the next level to this. And the next level of this is to say, okay, how do I I make it mandatory? What do I got to do to now take it out of my hands? Because at the end of the day, the truth is you could work it out and you should that whenever you do this pleasure, you got that thing. But what if you stop? No one's going to know. So when you're really up against the wall and you have to do that ritual, but it's so late or so early and you don't want to do it, you can fail. But once you start taking it out of yourself into someplace else, somebody else is expecting you to do it. Somebody else is monitoring you. You've obligated yourself in a different way. I have a friend of mine. I'll tell you this story, but we'll talk about this tomorrow. going to continue this. tell you a funny story. I have a friend of mine that was heavier. And he lost a considerable amount of weight. So he went down five, six man's pant sizes. So he hits a certain size that he wants to hit, whatever that size is. And the next day he wakes up in the morning and he throws out all of his clothes that were not on that size. And his wife says, what if you get heavier? He says, I won't wear pants. She goes, what are you crazy? Goes, yeah. I'm not buying any pair of pants over this size. This guy told me. He has now obligated himself by virtue of the fact that he needs to wear pants every morning. He has taken it out of his hands and placed it into the hands of something beyond himself. Because by not buying a pair of pants that were outside his size, he's now saying to himself, if you don't maintain your weight, you don't get dressed. Now, of course, it'd be great if you had someone else buying clothes. We'll, 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 we'll talk about the nuance of this. But that's the level of commitment we need to have with ourselves. Are we playing around? Are we joking around? This is real. This is this like a nice thing to do to inspire us? Yeah, cool. I'll make a ritual when I'm in the mood, and then I'll drop in and go back to myself. Or do we actually want to change? Well, if we actually want to change, we change. We toughen up and change. We're strong enough. We're great enough. we got enough inside us. We just got to stop kidding around. You want to lose weight? You sell your clothes. Period. End of story. You sell your clothes. And now you know if I'm not maintaining my size, I'm not walking out of my house. Period. So when I'm about to eat that food I'm supposed to eat, I got to remind myself I put this in my mouth. I'm going to look around. I'm going to walk around like someone painted the pants on me. And that's really embarrassing. That's commitment to change. Right? Like Ron just said, for those who are on Zoom, that's the difference between being interested in change and committing. We're going to talk about this again more. Committing to something that's where we're at growth takes place post commitment people that are interested that they would like to grow they would like to change they're round and round people that actually change are the ones that are committed to it and we'll talk about it tomorrow thanks so much for tuning in for those who are here today live on a sunday morning on july 4th you you're with us so appreciate it have an incredible day and with god's help i can't wait to speak to you again tomorrow.